0: House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process
1: in all genres. Welcome back into the House of Mystery. I'm Al Warren and Mr. Ben. No, uh, Mr. <laughs> Ooh, <Who? laughs> uh, what? Mr. <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Mr. Martino. I was going to call yes. you Ben Martino, like your dad. Yeah, that's my dad. Yeah, yeah. Do it. Is Ben in the room? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Would you want your dad this on is, the show?
0: Um, no.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: sure. Sure. No. He did radio for a while. Yeah. Well, I. He'd be yeah. fine. He'd be yeah.
1: fine. I don't know. We'd
0: have to bleep him a lot.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Probably more than a lot. Probably, yes. you know, yes. Yes. crazy. It's cra- yeah. As crazy as Gwyneth Paltrow. Yes. You know, Gwen, <laughs> hope she's listening. Um, no, I'm not going to talk about her. I'm not going to. Not this time. I've that's had right. enough. Yeah. You know, her ozone. you had enough. <laughs> you know, machine is just the best. I love it. You, know? you bought one? I bought three. Oh. I want one for the studio, one for my room, and then one for yeah. travel. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah. I want ozone going up I... my, my, uh, yeah. you know, wazoo. Yeah, wazoo. yeah. Wazoo ozone. <laughs> Machine and it makes me healthy, it makes me feel better. Yeah, See, yeah. And, you know, because I've been sick a lot. I keep getting all these colds yeah. and stuff. So, this I'm, I've gone to Gwen to help me. It, it's an yeah. ozone deficiency, yeah. I'm just yeah. not getting enough ozone up my ass, <laughs> anyway. Now, speaking of, <laughs> of ozone, <laughs> not asses, no, we're going to go on to our writer here. We've got an author here, and um, seems like, um i want to put him in the horror category uh suspense horror and that sort of category so uh mr uh ben Monroe, thank you for being here well thanks for
2: having me it was, like, nice to meet you guys and and i'm gonna uh, not even talk about my own ozone therapy <laughs> that's private i don't discuss that with
1: strangers. well you know um it's it's amazing uh we actually had an author on a while ago too that was talking about it. he's got a new book out too and he wants to come back and talk about ozone therapy, and it can uh, fix you from all sorts of things. So um, we'll make sure we let you know when he's on. <laughs> oh, yeah, we'll absolutely. Updated. Well, you, you seem like a really nice, mild-mannered guy, you know, and uh, you got, like, what, the wife, the two kids, and all this stuff. But you write stories about really scary things. So how did that... How does that work?
2: Well, that's a good question. You know, I just, I've, I've always liked monsters and scary stuff. I, I'm quite literally, going back as as long as I can remember, I've got uh, copies of stories I wrote. Well, I didn't really write, I dictated them to, you know, nursery school teachers about werewolves and slime monsters and whatever. And uh, I remember as a kid uh, loving, I had a copy of the Classics Illustrated uh, version of The Odyssey, which I used to pour over. And I loved all the monsters in there. the... Polyphemus and Sylph and Charybdis and all you the know, horrible witches and stuff. Um, and I don't know. Yeah, if people tell me that I come across as a perfectly normal person, you know, in real life, and I can have, you know, conversations with actual humans. And then I, you know, sneak back to my lair and type out these stories of brain sucking monsters and and and, and eyeball eating rats and stuff. And that's just uh, maybe that's just the way I. I, I deal with the world around me somehow. Who knows?
1: That's I'm, interesting, you know. So, what happened to you as a child?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, really, nothing. I mean, I had a perfectly normal childhood. I well, okay, 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 I take that back. I can't say perfectly normal. I grew up in Berkeley uh, in the seventies and eighties, so you know, it, <laughs> it it was normal to me, uh, but. Uh no, I, I experienced no major traumas that I can remember. Who knows? I just I just I think monsters and scary books and scary movies are neat. Well
1: so when when you're when you attack something like this, when you're going to create a book and you're sitting down like your new book is called The Seething. So when you sit down to write that book, um mm-hmm. how do you go about it? Like what's your process in this? Do you come up with the um kind of the idea? The, the kind of the, the, the hook? Is that kind of what it is? And then maybe a setting and characters? Or do you have characters and you think, well, now I want to do this to them. Like, where do, where do you sit when you do this?
2: Yes. <laughs> no, okay. all I'll move up. No, it, it's, it's, it's an <laughs> interesting question because I never really have one specific place where I start. Um, when I started on the seating, I was actually, I was out taking a hike uh, and uh, Near a lake, you know, a few miles away from my house, um, just get, getting some fresh air as one does. And uh, we'd been in a couple years of a drought here. In the, I, I live in Northern California in the Bay Area, East oh, Bay. Yeah. Um, and we'd been going through a, a couple years of drought. And this lake that I, you know, hiked around fairly frequently, I've been washing it over a couple years, and the water level just getting lower and lower and lower until. I was out there one summer, and I noticed that the little floats, you know, where people would sit on the pier and fish off of or, you know, dock their boat or whatever as they're paddling around, the the little floats were, were actually resting on the ground. The water was so low that they weren't on the water anymore. And something just struck me. I started thinking, you know, if, if there's a monster in that lake, it's a lot closer to the surface now. It sure would be a lot easier for it to get people. Um and that idea stuck with me. And just that that concept and the image of that lake getting lower and the monster, monster doing monster stuff. Uh, and I just started thinking about it. And I wrote a little, little story, you know, about a thousand words, um, just about a guy out for a row on the lake one afternoon. And this monster stuff happens. You know, He encounters the thing. Uh, and then I couldn't get the story out of my head, so it just kept going. I started adding more characters and expanding the setting, and it it sort of took on a a life of its own. Um, there have been stories I've written, I I wrote one just a few weeks ago, actually, where I came up with uh, the last line of the story first. I'm like, "I, I don't know where, you know, how to get to that point, but that's a really cool idea. And so I started writing the story to find out how that, you know, that, that, experience was going to progress. How did everything somehow lead to that last line of that little short story I wrote? Um, so in answer to your question, I really have no specific way to, to jump into a story. A a visual might hit me, um, an idea for a character or just a thought that I want to explore.
1: Right. And I imagine now you're going to that lake, um, Because, and you're saying how it's getting really low. Now you're probably doing that because that's where you dump most of the bodies. And you're worried about them coming up?
2: Is that? Uh, my lawyer told me not to answer that question.
1: (laughs) Might incriminate you. (laughs) Well, they have to have the body first, you know. Um, well, that's interesting. So did you, are you, I don't know, do you, do you like, uh, old horror ones like the old Godzilla movies and things like that? Were you into all that? Oh, yeah. Yeah,
2: uh, you know, growing up, that's really where I got my start. One of the first films I even remember seeing uh, was a a revival screening of the original King Kong. Um, And I just thought that was so neat. You know, the Willis O'Brien special effects. It it was just so cool. I was like five years old. I'd never seen anything really on a big screen before. And you know, seeing King Kong, that was really cool. Uh, From there, we had the Creature Feature show up here in the Bay Area at uh, Bob Wilkins. Showed all the old classics, the Universal monsters, um, and then weird stuff like you know the incredible two-headed transplant and robot monster and things like that. Um, and then you know, like I said, I was, I was growing up in Berkeley in the seventies and eighties, and the video boom came along, um, and I was able to get my hands on you know legions of stuff that I'd never seen before, uh, as well as more modern films. Um, VHS, and, you know, <laughs> oh, VHS, VHS. Remember some of the. Those of you listening who don't know VHS, you just Google it, and, and they'll explain it to you. These are you know, movies the way we watched them in the 70s and the 80s, and they but came, the came on a tape. still does. <laughs> still does. Yes.
0: I do. I have a VCR.
2: There you go. See? Somebody has to. You're the one. Right. You're the guy. I'm the guy. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, I, I loved all those movies growing up. And, of course, you know, I was reading at the same time. You know, I, I love film as well as fiction, of course, here I am, you know, writing novels and talking about movies all of a sudden. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, at the same time, you know, I was, I was reading, getting into Lovecraft and Barker and King and Anne Rice and all that. It was a, a very horror-focused,
1: uh, I suppose. But what do you think made those movies work? Like, you know, those old uh, King Kong, Godzilla and all that, because they were really, they were corny as, as hell in a way but yet they still worked. Why, why do you think that is? Because, you know, the effects are not, they were good for what they were at the time, right? I'm not saying anything disparaging. I'm just, I'm just saying that sure. you kind of know, and you kind of know that it's a lot of kind of silliness going on here, right? But, but it still really worked. Why do you think that was?
2: I think in many ways, and, okay, so I'm going to sidestep tangent here. In college, I actually was a film major. Uh, I I took some creative writing courses as well, but film was really my focus back then. So if if we're looking at, you know, the RKA studios, RKO, universal pictures, all that stuff, you know, we're talking, what, 30s, early 40s, maybe. You know, film had only been an art form for about 40, 50 years at that point. And so you've got these guys who are kind of this, you know, again, King Kong, Frankenstein, whatever. You know, they're almost the second generation of filmmakers. Uh, and, and they're super enthusiastic and they're trying stuff. Like, I have this crazy idea. What about, uh, Island? And there's a giant gorilla there and he squishes people. Yeah, let's do that. You know, these, these guys, they love movies. Um, and you can really see that, that love of a, a, new art form coming through in some of those early films.
0: Yeah. With, um, you know, you had mentioned, uh, horror writers of, of like the 1980s. I was wondering, uh, if you were, were you more inspired by the quiet horror? or uh the splatterpunks of that time.
2: Oh gosh, you know the splatterpunk? <laughs> I read a little bit of it. Yeah, you know, I, I barker kind of noodles around with splatterpunk. Yeah. Um I don't really know if I'd call him specifically one of the splatterpunks. I know you had uh Skip Inspector, those kind of guys. Yes. Um and I've read a lot of their stuff and it's it's not really my go-to, you know, if that makes sense. Right. Uh I, I actually just read uh Oh, skip the specter. Oh, the light at the end. They're vampire stories. Uh, which is a lot of fun. Um, it is, but it's, it's not the kind of thing I think I would ever find myself writing. (laughs) You know, I, I like when I'm writing, I, I I don't, I don't want to say, my, you know, it's better than (laughs) Splatter, but I tend (laughs) to, I tend to feel more comfortable writing the quieter style, the more suspenseful style. Um, and I got squishy parts in my book. You know, there's, there's definitely some parts in the ceiling where, you know, jaws are coming unhinged and joints are popping and flesh is being flayed. Uh, but that, that's not my my go-to. I like to build up anticipation uh, before the creepy thing really happens.
1: Right. Well, it's, you know, it's, it's interesting how, um, how you've turned into a writer. Did you know you were always going to be doing this? this is this something that you planned to be doing um, when you were young? Like were you kind of that guy that was writing stories that – you know, age six, and then just it just kept on going.
2: You know, maybe in some ways, I, I think I've always considered myself a storyteller. Um, you know, I, I played around with fiction as a kid, I, I played an awful lot of, you know, role playing games, uh, you know, Dungeons and Dragons sort of stuff. And I was primarily the game master, you know, if you're familiar with these terms, I was the one coming up with the ideas for the stories, presenting them to my friends, you know, and then I would, you know, I was like I said, writing you know, writing fiction here and there. I wrote some stuff for, for classes and things. Um, and then, you know, when I went to college, I said I was a, a film major. I was getting into movies. Uh, and, you know, I, I focused on, on screenwriting and directing in college um, and played around a little with that. And then, you know, life intervened, and I, I did other stuff. I found regular work, um, but always kind of kept wanting to come back to, to writing, and so I had the opportunity to come up a couple of years ago to to really start delving into fiction, uh, and I, I jumped at it, and it seems to have gone pretty well since then. I really enjoyed it. Nothing else.
1: Well, what makes what makes a good horror book for you? Like how do how do you? Um, what's your criteria? That's the best thing.
2: My criteria. My favorite kind of horror story, and, and more so in the novel size stories than a short story, because you can only go so far with a short story. Uh, and it's funny. Maybe this is out of the left field a little bit. Um, I like stories with believable characters in fairly believable situations, and then things go off the rails. Um, you know, I, I often use uh, my favorite example. Of that is, is Stephen King's Pet Cemetery, where you've got, you know, a family that's just moved into a new town. The dad has an understandable job. You know, he's a doctor. Uh, and, you know, the mom's doing mom stuff at the house and things are progressing and just kind of strange, but, but in, in, in regular ways. Uh, and then these horrible things start to happen to the family. Uh, you know, the, 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 the ghosts show up and the zombies start wandering around and, and doing bad ghost and zombie stuff. And I love that. Um, so for me, yeah, I, I love stories about regular people that I can kind of sympathize with when then stuff starts to happen and you know, layered onto that. I like to. I really enjoy slow burn kind of horror. Um, I often call it what, what I call it like the hot sauce or the chili pepper horror. You know, where you you eat something spicy and then that first bite is like, whoa, hey, that's that's kind of that's intense. And the more you eat, you know, or the more you read, or the more you watch, it just keeps getting worse and worse and building and building and building until you just can't take it anymore.
1: Until you're on the toilet. <laughs> 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 right. Just, just saying. Yeah. <laughs> if you well, want to go the analogy, sure. <laughs> yeah, that's there you go. So you, you're really kind of now a slowburn, then you're really focused on your characters, right? Your Characters are very important in the story, then, right? Yeah, I think to so. A lot. Yeah,
2: And again, that that's a, a big difference between a novel and a short story. but a novel, you can take that time. I've learned. Uh, you know, this this evening is my second novel, so I'm an expert now. Um, <laughs> uh But yeah, and I've written a bunch of short stories, and, and I think you know thirty over the last couple of years. And with a short story, you know, you have an idea, and you got to get to the point pretty quick because you know you've only got a, a couple thousand to you know four or five thousand words to to get to your point. So you you have to rush a little bit with those, which is fun. It's it's a different style of storytelling. I appreciate them both.
0: Do you think of yourself as a natural uh, sto- short story writer or more of a natural novel writer? Do, do you have a, a preference? I
2: really don't at this point. You know, I've, I've done a couple of novels. I'm working on a third, and I've done a bunch of short stories. Uh, and like I said just a moment ago, you know, I, I really enjoy the process for either one. Um, you know, short stories give you a chance to just get your idea out really fast. And with a novel, you can meander a little bit. You can play with it. You can really see where it goes a little bit deeper.
1: Yeah, but there's 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 a, a way of doing it. Like when you've got a, a short story, right, or it's something fairly small in as compared to a novel, um, you've got um, to use your words wisely or something mm-hmm. because, in a way, I've got to be able to read that. And within a really quick time I've got to understand that character or characters that that are involved in the story, especially with horror. I gotta know why and all the details in in very you've got to be very particular with your sentences and how you structure what you what information you give.
2: Yes, yes, exactly. Well, I guess you know, with a novel you can meander with a short story, you really gotta okay, here's my situation, here's my characters, here's where things are going, here's the resolution. You really gotta Get as much information in that small, uh, small space as you can.
1: But but that, that's going to. What's the trick? I got to write this down. I got I got to figure <laughs> out how to do this because I want I want to make some money here. So how But what what's the trick? Like how do you? Do you have to play with words a lot, or do you just did it just come natural for you?
2: I, I guess in the end, it it comes fairly naturally to me. Uh, you know, and I, I think maybe if if I was going to. Try to describe the process a little better. Uh, I feel like a short story, and maybe this isn't helpful at all. It's like watching an episode of something like you know The Twilight Zone or Creepshow or Tales of the Dark Side or something. You know, you you got uh, an idea you wanted to say, hey, this is this is what I'm going to do, and uh, you know, again, you set it up. It's like a joke. You set it up. There's the punchline. Uh, you just don't have the time to play uh, to, to really wander with it. Uh, you really just have to focus in on this is what I'm trying to say.
1: Yeah, it's it's, it's an interesting process. It's totally different than what I am used to, but that's good because um, you're going to teach me how, and I'm going to make money. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. rich and famous here. And, Absolutely. You know, um, yeah. You know, so underneath this, are you when you're writing a book um, like this and with the seething. Is this purely entertainment? You just want people to be uh, scared and freaked out and all that stuff? Or do you have more, More is there more meat below that?
2: Um, you know, with the seating, it I think my primary goal for readers was to to be entertained, you know, to, to enjoy the story, to think about the characters, to, to maybe feel like the setting is real. Um, for me, it's, you know, some of the stuff going on in the book is maybe metaphorical for, Things I was experiencing in my life. I know for a lot of it, honestly, uh, I wrote most of the book during the COVID lockdowns. And just the idea of this family going on vacation—wow, that sounds fun! <laughs> <You know? laughs> I can going out of my house. Neat. Let's do that. So, uh, and 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 it's funny actually looking back at it. Um, when I, I was thinking about it recently, it's like how many scenes I have in this book are set with characters eating in restaurants which was like a big exciting thing you know over the last couple of years going outside and being around other people that's pretty cool so
1: yeah i don't know when i, mean, I was young they didn't have restaurants no yeah you have to go out and hunt <laughs> yeah, your own just, store you, you just ate at home you never went out to <laughs> a restaurant what's that you know uh, <laughs> the drive-through <laughs> what um yeah you know i find it interesting when you're putting something like this together, and in a horror story, how do you, um, let's say, write your characters? So you got teenage Kimmy Barnes, and how do, how does this character become who they are and get developed? And how do you experience them? Like what what is what is your process in a character?
2: Well, you know, I know, and everyone's different. You know, of course, uh, my process. I think I use the phrase a lot recently that I write the story to find out what happens and to find out who these people are. Um, when I'm writing, you know, often a character just pops into the book and I start writing about them and I'll just sort of imagine who that person is. Um, I don't really do character backgrounds or biographies. I kind of feel like that's what the book is for. Um, and so I'm learning about that character as I'm going. And a lot of times it means I have to go back and change stuff early on. Uh, but that's part of the fun for me is to just have somebody show up in this story and, and no idea who this person is going to be. And suddenly they, they take on a life of their own. Yeah. I, I learn about them almost like you would learn about someone from, you know, meeting a new person. Um, there's a character in the book, uh, officer Sean Lasher, she's He's part of the local police department up there in, in golden Oaks, California. Um, and when I introduced her to the story, a, a fight had broken out in a parking lot early on in the thing, uh, and she shows up to break it up. I'm like, okay, so Shawna Lasher shows up to break it up. That's great. Uh, she was not one of the characters I had originally thought about for the story. She showed up in that one scene, <clears throat> and I figured, oh well, maybe they'll have to go back to the police station or see her wandering around town at some point, and we'll maybe see her again, and that'll be the end of it. Um, so I gave her a name because I thought she might come back for one more scene. <laughs> and I think, I, I never actually went and did the math, but I think at least a quarter of the book now is told from her point of view. She was just so much fun to write, such an interesting character, that she kind of just took over and kept coming back.
0: When you talk about writing from, uh, uh, from her point of view or any of your characters, uh, when creating dialogue, can, can you hear your characters? Do you have an inner monologue? How does that work
2: for you? Yeah, I think so. Um, when I'm writing from someone, each chapter in the book is basically told from a different character's perspective, a different point of view, right? Um, and when I'm writing Kimmy, you know, 14-year-old Kimmy Barnes, I'm kind of in her head, and I'm writing from, from the way I think that that character would speak. Uh, and every character is the same way. When I was writing Lasher, I had a real sense of who she was when I was writing her chapters and her dialogue. Um, and I don't know, if, you know, I, I probably have some kind of internal monologue. I don't know if I can specifically hear them in my head. Uh, but I, I do seem to have a pretty good sense of who each character is as I'm writing. And each character definitely, you know, has, in my opinion, uh, a very different personality.
1: So you hear, hear these characters and see them and all that stuff. Does this happen when you're driving, too? <laughs> <laughs> You
2: know, I, I do uh, tend to, well, I mean, you joke, but you know, when I'm out driving around or, or doing stuff, I definitely am thinking about the, uh, the, the the project I'm working on, whatever that happens to be. Uh, you know, it's, it's, I, I read somewhere, it's something about like the synapses in your brain when you're experiencing different visual stimulus, right? Uh, start firing in different ways. And so that's, that's one of the things I've actually found. Uh, is, is a great way to get unstuck or, or ruminate over a project if you're not sure where it's going. Just to, you know, go for a walk somewhere that you've never been before, or go, you know, drive to work in a different way uh, each morning and just get different visual stimuli coming in. Um, so that really has nothing to do with the question that you asked, but I always thought that was interesting. <laughs> and that's no, that's it's, it, that it, I no, agree totally.
1: <laughs> I think well, it, it it makes you know the creative bug go you know but i was just wondering if you're waking up at night and there's like muddy shoes by the bed and maybe maybe a shovel with blood on it or something you know i just you know you never know no,
2: that would that would really be weird
1: yeah. uh, that's, you know let's, let's start talking about that you know it's okay <laughs> um so you don't get to choose so these characters just come to you and you don't get to choose them they just sort of happen um what if, what if it's like some really atrocious character that you don't like?
2: Uh, that that's definitely happened. Actually, uh, there's been a couple of characters that show up uh, in the seething, and a couple that came in. Um, oh gosh, in my last book, uh, in the Belly of the Beast, uh, where, I did not like them, and they they did sort of take on a villainous aspect. But even uh, you know, even then, I tried to make them feel like real people. You know, there's a couple of characters uh, in the seething. I would absolutely not want to hang out with or have dinner with uh, they're not the villains of the book they're just not great people uh, the, the villain of the book is you know a slimy like thing um, and and the, the characters I'm thinking of the McEwen brothers if you ever if you've read the book if you read the book or anybody listening reads the book the McEwens are two characters that I really did not like uh, but I enjoyed writing them <laughs> I, right. I thought they were they were still interesting people to write about and get into their heads a little bit, even though I would not want to invite them over for dinner.
1: No, you wouldn't want to sleep with them.
2: <laughs> Absolutely not.
1: Oh <laughs> <laughs> well, well, maybe. I don't know. Sometimes we sleep with people we don't like. Um but it's kind of interesting that you say that. I mean, because I wonder how much of real life gets into your into your books as in like real people, like they always say that an author is in part of you is in every single one of these characters, you know, some of you there's, you know, and that sometimes you write a character that's a lot like yours is, is, is almost you in a way. And, and, um, so do you, and on the same token, are you putting in people that you think are awful that you know, or people you don't like or people in the world that are, someone you might not, do you, do you sort of put those in, in the book as well? Do you use real life characters to kind of influence you?
2: I don't think I have. In, in fact, I'm, I'm thinking it's about some characters I've written about. I've never done the thing of, I, I hate a person. And so I put them in my story and kill them. You know, that's oh. who cares? Who cares? Move on. <laughs> well, find, some, <laughs> find some better way to, to spend your energy. Um, but I'm sure that there are characters in all my stories who are, you know, inspired by aspects of people I've met throughout my life, just as you know the, the settings of my story, even though uh, you know the, the setting of the book this evening, uh, Gold Oaks, California, on the shores of Oro Lake up there in the Sierra Nevadas, is a complete fabrication. You know it doesn't exist, I've never been there. You can't go there. Even the highway exits I, I, I described very well in the book, I think how to get there with street signs and highway signs and everything. And all of it's completely made up. Uh, but it's definitely based on, you know, inspired by elements of places I've visited. Uh, the towns of Lockford and Jackson, California, uh, definitely uh, appear in, in shadowy form in uh, the town of Golden Oaks. And, and I think the characters are very much the same way, even if they're not specifically inspired by a person I've met. You know, there's elements of, somebody's personality here, somebody's physical characteristics there. Uh, you know, it, it, it's all, I, I guess, part of the writer's brain. You, you absorb things, and it all comes bubbling out somewhere else.
0: Well, you said some of your characters just uh, just show up for you. Um, have any of them ever surprised you? Have they kind of taken over the plot and moved it kind of into a direction that you didn't want to go into?
2: Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mentioned Shauna Lasher earlier, the, the police officer who was not meant to be there for more than a couple of scenes and, and was there for, you know, a huge chunk of the book. And I really hadn't meant the book to be, to, to have so many uh, investigative mystery elements in the thing. Uh, but when she showed up, all of a sudden it's like, wow, now we have this police officer who's investigating what's going on in town. I had meant it to be more of a, you know, Friday the 13th kind of people staying on the lake getting murdered over a few days, <laughs> you know, and all of a sudden, well, now there's this whole other element. So I had to, I had to go do research and like, find out like, you know, the name of and stuff, you know, <laughs> all, all those little funny details that get mm. blended in. Um, uh, yeah. You know, stuff like that. There's always somebody who's going to show up and, and, and take things in a different direction. And for me, you know, I, I mentioned earlier, I, I write these things to find out what happens and that's part of the fun. I don't, um, I don't outline my stories at all. I go in with an idea. I jump in head first and see where it goes. And for me, really, the fun in writing is following those threads and just seeing what happens next. Um, I used to try outlining stories and novels and things, and, and not a single one of those that I ever didn't outline for did I ever go back and complete. And I realized at a certain point, I think when I was writing my first novel, uh, the reason for that was because once I'd finished the outline, I feel like, well, now I've told this story. I don't care anymore. You know, I, I don't, I don't want to have to now tell it again, but make it even longer. I, I want to move on to the next thing. So,
1: huh. so yeah. writing
2: for me is a process of discovery, I suppose.
1: So, so being that being said, and also the way you talked about not outlining and all that, um, how, how is your process? Do you like, can you just set the time aside? Can you just kind of go, well, I'm I'm going to work on the book, you know, 10 to 2, Monday to Friday, and sit down and then turn it on and write and do it? Or do you have to put yourself, do you have to be in a mood, or do you have to be, does the setting have to be a certain way? Um, how does this work?
2: So what I try to do, you know, especially being, you know, like you mentioned earlier, I'm a father. I've, I've got kids. I've got a wife. I've got, you know, a whole life to deal with. <laughs> and and that's not always conducive to writing. But uh, what I do is I look through my schedule, you know, a few days ahead and just try to find an hour or so every day or two. I don't write every day, you know, who can. Um, and I just I try to break out chunks of time. I've got an hour this evening. I've got an hour, you know, Friday morning or something uh, and just sit down and do it. I, I don't really think that waiting until you're inspired is a great way to actually get any work done i think setting aside time and saying i'm i'm going to work right now you know right now is writing time uh, uh i think it was Stephen pressfield uh, in his book the the war of art calls that button chair time he says just sit down and do it stop screwing around stop waiting until you're inspired just sit down start writing uh, even if you delete part of what you're you know, what you start with, just start typing away
1: and see where it goes. Yeah, but I've got to have my bath and have my uh, martini and <laughs> and do my nails, and I have to be in the right place. My mind isn't there if I'm not.
2: Well, <laughs> and if that works for you, and there's something else I've I've thought a lot about. In fact, over the last couple of years, um, about doing
1: about, your nails, or
2: about doing my nails. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of, of getting a, a French manicure after oh. after we talk here. Um, no after over the last couple of years, you know my kids are in high school and I've gotten to know uh, their English teachers and the people at their library and i've I've gone to their school uh during i wish it November for national novel writing month uh, and i've I've met with groups of kids at the library who are doing the national novel Writing Month thing together and uh and, and talk to them just you know what are you guys working on and we talk about the writing process and and one of the things I' really kind of push for them was to to tell them, like, you know, whatever works for you, do it. You know, read all the writing books you want. Read all the advice articles and, and everything that comes to mind, but or that comes across your radar, but figure out what process works for you. And if you're the kind of writer that has to stare off into space for two hours and then you can burst out a flurry of a thousand words in 15 minutes, great. If, if that works for you, do it. If you're the kind of person who says, I need to sit down for an hour and just start writing and see where it goes, do that. Everyone's got a different process. And and I think that's part of the, the thing that every writer needs to figure out for themselves is what is the process that works for you? You know, don't take everyone else's advice, even my advice, (laughs) figure out what works for you and and do that.
1: Well, yeah, I wish my teachers would say that. Just daydream for a couple hours. Don't worry about it, <laughs> you know. Now, I, I see you've written a lot of books and stuff like that. Do you have a a, a favorite or sort of one story here that you've written that um, sticks with you even now, like it right through time?
2: Uh, I'm, I'm looking at my, my shelf here of stories. I actually I wrote one. I guess about a year or so ago, uh, it finally came out this last summer, which I love. It's called The Patchwork Man, uh, and you can find it in uh, Blood in the Soil, Terror on the Wind, which is a collection of of horror westerns uh, that was put out by by Bridgesgate Press last summer. Uh, And The Patchwork Man, again, it was another one of those things where my my brain made a bunch of really weird connections, and I suddenly was thinking about, uh, at the end of, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, when the monster is set adrift on an ice floe in the Bering Strait or whatever, and he floats away and, and Dr. Frankenstein yells at him and, and that's the last we see of the monster. And I, I started thinking, but you know, based on the timing, the monster could totally have just walked down through Canada, right? Ended up in the middle of America in, in the early to middle eighteen hundreds, and you could have a Frankenstein Western. Wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> and, and I wrote it. It's, it's a pretty simple story, but it was just, it was fun to write that character. You know, I've, I've always loved the Frankenstein monster ever since I probably saw the, the Boris Karloff, James Whale Frankenstein when I was, I don't know, seven or eight years old or something. Um, and just the idea of, of, of a Frankenstein cowboy was a lot of fun to write.
1: Well, yeah, you know, and Frankenstein Cowboy's bride. Yeah. Wait, wait till you meet her. <laughs> <laughs> so, w- when you're doing all these, I just, I just thought, and you've got a title, Attack of the 80s? Attack from the 80s?
2: Yeah, that was, that's, that's another short story collection, and I've got a story in there, uh, The Devil in the Details, which is about a guy who runs across a, a so they're all short stories set in the 80s, um, and mine was one of them, you know, hence Attack from the 80s, uh, and I was riffing on the Satanic Panic, which was a, a big topic of conversation back then. And so I've got a guy who, who runs afoul of a cult of Satan worshippers living in the Hollywood hills. And that was a lot of fun.
1: You have Geraldo Rivera in there.
2: <laughs> oh yeah. You know, it was really actually weird. I was thinking about the eighties and I, so I put in characters that do weird stuff like smoke cigarettes and, um, and have pocket address books and stuff like that. Right? Cause the eighties were like a whole, whole different time back then.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, don't I know it? <laughs> you know, I was, I was young and. Wild, but uh, things have changed. Someone's never read any of your books. Someone doesn't know who you are. What would you suggest they read to get uh, the real feel for who you are? That's a good question.
2: Yeah, I'd I'd say let's go with this evening. You know, it's my newest piece. It just came out uh, a week or so ago at this point, as when I'm talking to you. Um, I really think it's probably the best thing I've written yet. It's, it's, you know, my second novel, uh, and I, I think I learned a lot. Uh, during my first one and, and re- writing all those short stories, I definitely learned a lot writing this evening and I, I really had a good time writing it. Um, so I, I'd say start, start with that. It's one big deep dive into, into how I write. And then, you know, from there I've got, uh, if you look me up on Amazon or my website. You can find links to the books that have all my other short stories. And I'm, um, you know, there's, there's a, a dozen or so books out right now. Each one's got uh, each of which have one of my stories in them. So they might, that might cost you a bit to find a lot of them, but start with this evening.
1: It's good. Oh, but it's worth it. <laughs> Come on. So, so old horror or new horror, which is the best?
2: Yes, you're gonna get that answer from me a lot. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I have to say it. I mean, you know what? It, I just I, guess I you, do you like what's going on with the horror community now?
2: Oh, sure. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot, a lot of good stuff. It's, it, as far as the community goes, you know, there's some great people in it. I've, I've met a lot of great horror fans and horror creators over the last couple of years. Um, and like anything, you know, there are some bad apples. And sure, of course, uh, as far as the the content, the the art being made in horror right now, it's, it's, it's good and bad. Uh, you know, there's a lot of great stuff coming out um, and uh, probably a lot that stinks. Uh, you know, I, I can't keep up with all of it but uh, there's definitely some good stuff out there.
1: But do you like the way it's done now more with effects and 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 that than than some of the older horrors or what what where do you take on that? What what do you do for when you're watching horrors? do you kind of watch older ones? Uh, well, let me
2: think here. If we're talking movies, you know, I I think I tend to if I'm going back and watching things over and over again, I find myself tending to gravitate more to what you know, probably what I was comfortable with or, or what I grew up watching. Um, and that could be anything from, you know, old black and whites to 80s slashers to 80s, you know, creature features. Um oh gosh, I'm trying to think if I watched anything like that recently, but uh, probably not. No, I, I I watched some Friday the 13th movies a little while back and they were, you know, just as good as they've always been. Which is, <laughs> you know, your, your mileage may vary. <laughs> Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, as far as the effects go, I mean, I think they've gotten a lot more polished lately, uh, you know, for, for, for better or worse. Um, there's, there's something fun about old practical effects, I think, uh, especially, you know, coming from my perspective as someone who studied film, uh, and I was really into the, the idea of monster models and stuff as a, as a kid and a teenager. Um, and I like seeing the craftsmanship of, you know, uh, who knows? A monster that somebody had sculpted. You kind of know, okay, this is stop motion and, and how they did it, but it's still just the enthusiasm behind seeing what they they created is a lot of fun. CGI, you know, it's not quite the same, but I still know there was you know people working on it, making that thing, and that's that's still kind of fun to see that there are still people out there pursuing some kind of creative art forms in in the horror genre.
0: Well, do you think
2: you know when when
0: it comes to to horror fiction? It was. It had kind of its heyday in the 80s, and then by the mid 90s, there was kind of an, an implosion of the genre. Do, do you think there's mm-hmm. a resurgence now with horror fiction that's going on?
2: I think there is, and I think there really is. If you look past the what they call the big five publishers, if you if you delve into what's going on in the, the indie press horror scene. And, you know, my book this evening was published by a, a small press, Bridges Gate, out of uh, Kentucky. Um, it, it's about as small as it gets. Uh, but, you know, they're putting out a lot of books, a lot of good books. Uh, you've got a lot of other little small presses who are, are trying stuff, you know, publishing, I don't want to say necessarily experimental novels but novels and short stories that the big five presses might not see as marketable, you know, <laughs> and that's sort of the same thing that we saw back in the eighties with the direct to video uh, horror movies going on then. You, know, you, you would have films right. coming out from, oh gosh, I mean, well, like a Full Moon Cinema, and I think even, yeah. <laughs> you know New Line was, was almost, banned. Yeah, Charles Van, exactly. And, and New Line was almost indie at that point. I guess they kind of they kind of were. Uh, you know, they, they got pretty big over time. But you've had you know funny little movies that would go direct to video. That you know that weird guy at the video store would have to say, "Oh, you got to check out you know whatever screamers or you know critters or whatever." Um, uh, all those funny things that would never get mainstream theatrical releases. Uh, And so I think that we're sort of seeing that in horror fiction right now. These indie presses are putting out stuff that's really neat, really fun, and might not get mainstream attention. So God bless them.
1: So Mystery Science Theater 3000 or Sven (laughs) (laughs) Guli.
2: your features. Uh, (laughs) We did get some Guli up here. I I think we actually had some of Svengoolie. That was the Saturday afternoon uh show uh, we, we had here on, on Channel channel 2 or Channel 44, I can't remember, uh, in the Bay Area. Uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000, I watched a few times, but actually uh, it annoyed me, um, mostly because it felt like what me and my friends used to all do when we'd just get together and watch crappy movies and make fun of them. But they were getting paid for it, and I wasn't, and that made me mad. So,
1: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so he could do your own version now. We can see you coming up now.
2: Exactly, yeah. Uh, you
1: know. Well, so, Ben, um, are you big on social media, websites, uh, Tinder, Grinder? Like, where do, where do people find Ben Monroe? <laughs> like, where is it they go to find you?
2: Uh, the, the one-stop shopping is benmonroe.com. That's my website. Uh, as far as social media goes, I'm pretty much mostly active on Twitter. Uh, you know, I've, I've got a Facebook account, but I really mostly use that for friends, family, and colleagues. Um, I don't post a lot of public stuff there, but you can find me on Twitter uh, at underscore Ben Monroe underscore, and you can find a link to that from my website, benmonroe.com, which is probably the, the fastest way to go.
1: Okay. Well, of course, we'll have that up on our website, uh, you know, so people can find you with one click. It's all easy to do and we really appreciate it. We'll have your new book up as well. The book is called The Seething, and our guest is the author, Ben Monroe. Thank you for being here.
2: Well, Alan, David, thanks for having me. It was really, really nice to meet you, and I really had a good time talking to you. Thanks, Ben.
0: You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.myssey.com.